This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in to the West of the Rest podcast. It is Tuesday, October 11th, and we're here to kick off your week once again with more West Coast recruiting talk. I am Blair Angulo, joined by the national recruiting editor at 24-7 Sports and my co-host, Brandon Huffman. Huff, what's up? How are you doing? Oh, man, Blair, I am looking outside in October. I went to a game this weekend in October wearing t-shirt and shorts and got sunburned. How does that happen? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there is something going on with global warming, but I don't care. I live in freaking Washington. Bring me all the global warming you want during the winter seasons. It's a special occasion, and we might get sunburned just recording this podcast because the one and only Greg Biggins is joining us, and we're talking about something that shines brightly and, and might be burning you. That would be Greg Biggins. Greg, it's a pleasure to have you. You've got to be on this show a little bit more often. Fellas, I don't think it should be a special occasion anymore. It should be a regular occasion. You know, last time I was on with you guys, I got to admit it was a little disappointing. Had a late night, didn't have a voice, and just kind of wasn't really feeling it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to say I had too much the night before, but I probably did. I feel good tonight. I feel good today, though, guys. I've had my pre-workout wearing my Kahuku shirt that Kai Kai's dad gave me off his back, and I'm ready to go. Let's do this. We had a poll on the West of the Rest podcast Twitter feed. It's at West of the Rest FB. And we asked our listeners, should we have at Greg Biggins on next week's show? Overwhelmingly, Greg, the vote 61% came in as a yes. 26% said, sure, why not? So if you combine both of those, you're you're at an 87% clip there. That that must that, feel that, really good. No, that was extremely underwhelming, Blair. 60% is is that's a D minus, even by today's com- grade standards. If you and com- combine it, it's a, a you're a high three star essentially. No, no. I, I was one of the sure why nots. And then who's the guy who said no? What a loser. My you know that's, what? What do you guys have defense, a, that's one of your guys' burner accounts, isn't it? In his defense, he was a Miami fan, so all he's been doing is watching losses come happening left and right. So I could sense some some bitterness. I mean, imagine if you spent nine months telling everybody that the U is back and all the R is back in the L column, you'd be bitter and angry too. So his uh, his tweet cancels out. You know, maybe if I told him that I have in my closet a the U invented swagger t-shirt, maybe he would have voted yes if he knew that. So maybe next time we do this, you need to like let people know that I have a, a wide variety of t-shirts 
And depending on what your team is, I might I might be able to uh, you know have a little representation there. So next time Did we have do that this, same energy, know. have that same energy when Jaden Wayne and Riley Williams and Jaden Rashad all sign with Miami Miami fan because it looks like your coach wants to go west of the rest. This is true. Saying, We're you know gonna- saying, and, and <laughs> you know, Huff's the one why Huff's the reason why Jaden committed to Miami. You helped get him there. I'm joking. But that, that's probably why he likes you and doesn't like me. Maybe I should, I need to make up something. I got Kyle Wright to Miami back in the day for crying out loud. No, I didn't. But I'm just trying to go old school, Kyle Wright. I one time. How, uh, how are you guys? You guys I good? was one, one time in Miami, so that counts. Um, I've been I'm to doing South good, Beach Blair. a couple times. That was GB West at. I asked that, not not Blair. I said, how, how are you guys? You guys, uh, it was good. Good weekend for your teams, high schools, colleges, everybody you guys root for. Cade, I saw Cade Huffman, homecoming picture, little hottie. Okay. Hey, he first came back after seven weeks on the disabled list, had two sacks and a pass breakup. That was good for him. Unfortunately, my uh, my alma mater lost in heart-crushing fashion to Buena High School on a 43-yard field goal, which was kicked by the son of a former middle school classmate of mine. So, you know, Ventura, I guess after you beat Buena for like 73 years in a row, you have to be humble a little bit. Not a great, not a great weekend for the Cougars. Not a great weekend for uh, the Cleveland Browns. All I know Dude. is the Angels didn't lose in the playoffs this weekend, so we got that going for us, which is nice. Yeah, and I, I was a little bit disgruntled with you, Huff, because as I was preparing for a, a certain high school game out here, I saw you try to compare the Seattle Manners to our beloved 2002 Angels. That's blasphemy. It was fresh hop season this weekend. What is wrong with you? Th- th- it was it, Blair can attest. It was fresh hop season this weekend. So there might have been, you know, liquid courage that prompted said tweet. In you fairness, I think it's every every weekend is fresh hop season. It, it is. <laughs> it is. But I'm blaming fresh hop season. I was hacked. You, yeah, were, you know, you. when you've had a few, that, you know, sometimes that's when the real truth comes out. So <laughs> I, that makes it even worse, Huff. Oh, yeah, yeah. We are going to talk recruiting on this podcast. I, I promise you that. Uh, we will get into a commitment for Oregon. Another offensive lineman from the West Coast is, is headed up to Oregon, Bryce Bolton. We'll also discuss the latest in the recruitment of four-star quarterback Julian Sand, one of the better prospects out West in the 2024 class, has a number of SEC programs uh, high up on his list. We're also going to get into Modern Day and St. John Bosco, the thoughts from probably the mega matchup of, of the of the year, at least the first edition of it. We're expecting both of those schools to match up again at some point in the California CIF Southern Section playoffs. Uh, but let's begin with our favorite segment now, guys, the overreactions. And this is being recorded right after UCLA lost a commitment from Roderick Robinson, their best and highest rated prospect committed in this 2023 class. He has flipped to the Georgia Bulldogs after an official visit to Athens over the weekend. Are we overreacting when we say this is a backbreaker for the Bruins? Hmm. Are you asking Greg Biggins? Are you asking? See, I'm a third. There's a third member in here, Blair. You, you got to actually let me. We'll sure see. I, I we'll know. see. I, I didn't. I didn't ask Huff, <laughs> and I didn't ask you because you are now officially a co-host of this show. I'm just going to jump in every single time. Then, if you're going to make it open ended like that, no. Repeat your question: Is are we overreacting by saying this is a backbreaker for UCLA's recruiting class? I mean, obviously, it's it's a devastating blow. I think the three of us on this call are probably the biggest Roddick Robinson fans. For me, you know, he's outside the two four seven. I think he's probably a top one fifty player. He actually he has a game that reminds me of Zach Charbonnet, and we all know you know Zach Charbonnet is a future NFL guy. You know, he's a big, strong, powerful kid. I, I think UCLA. 
really hurt themselves by a couple things here. Number one, I think the early games with the lack of attendance kind of were a little bit, I I don't want to say eye-opening for the family, the Robinson family, but just maybe a little bit like, hey, man, I, I'm a big-time football guy. I'm going to play, you know, kind of on a big-time football stage. And then also just the lack of, you know, I would say offensive line recruiting, you know, around him, you know, they brought in, I want to say five, correct, you can guys correct, correct me. I think they brought in like what, five or six O-linemen on official trips back in May and went 0 for 6. So, you know, again, you, you, Georgia, there's so much to sell from a running back standpoint. They're bringing in four or five-star linemen every single year. You're playing in the SEC. You're, you're playing for a team that just won a national championship, playing for a team that wants to run the football, and that's their identity. And although, he, you know, he loved Deshaun Foster, he really liked Chip Kelly a lot. And, and I think he liked UCLA and the academics and, the, you know, and the, even the, the location. But, you know, he's from the South, and uh, he's comfortable back there. And I didn't know he was going to flip this quickly after his visit. But in the back of my head, I always did kind of get a Georgia vibe out of him. Well, and, and I think you look at, you know, uh, maybe I'm a little biased here, and I probably am biased, but – in my opinion, one of the top three running backs in the NFL right now is Nick Chubb, who was a Georgia Bulldog. I mean, if you look back, you know, before that, Todd Gurley was one of the best backs in the NFL, and he was a Georgia Bulldog. You look at Georgia's offense, and you look at the success that they've had at the running back position these last couple of years, you know, Sonny Michelle's in the NFL, Zemir White, you had, a, um, you know, I'll give you some blank on his name, Dalvin Cook's younger brother. I mean, you've got, you know, a, a nice little recent history of backs from Georgia that have gone on to the NFL and, and really flourished. And so, you know, th- if you're UCLA, I mean, you can kind of understand you're losing a player to a elite national program that just won a national championship that's been cranking guys out at that position. You know, remember when he committed to UCLA back in May, it was somewhat of a surprise how quickly after that visit he was ready to commit. And then you had the Georgia offer, the Florida offer. I think Tennessee got involved. And I think it probably started looking like once AM got that visit scheduled with him in the spring, like this could happen. But you know, there's also a history. Now, granted, there was a stop at Long Beach State, but there was a, a one time a really good running back from Lincoln High School who went down to Georgia and he's now an NFL Hall of Famer. So you know, there and Greg, I think you you wrote. You know, he's originally from the South, the military family. He's from the South, so this is a guy that Georgia checks a lot of boxes. If you are a back of his stature and of his size, you want to have a chance to win. You want to have a chance of playing at the next level. You know, this is one of those where I guess if you're UCLA, you can kind of handle and justify and rationalize in your mind why he may have picked Georgia. Interestingly enough, guys, the UCLA football recruiting. Twitter account at UCLA FB recruit uh, a minute or so after Roderick Robinson announced that he had flipped to Georgia, tweeted out a gif of Bugs Bunny, uh, I think counting money and kind of stacking paper or, you know, kind of, you know, unloading a bunch of dollar bills from from a bag. That tweet has since that tweet has since been deleted. But are we overreacting when we wonder if UCLA is going to be able to generate any sort of recruiting momentum, even after a 6-0 start? Like, Is that a serious concern if you're a UCLA fan? Let's talk about that, but let me just finish off the Rod Robinson because this is kind of ironic also. You know, Georgia was a huge, huge, huge leader way back in the summer for Justice Haynes. He committed to Alabama. This kid had Georgia ties like you would not believe. Whole family went to Georgia. It was a shock when Alabama went and got Justice Haynes because he was such a Georgia lock. And ironically, that's when Georgia kind of started to really make a hard push for Roderick Robinson. So if you want to blame somebody, uh, you can also say, hey, Alabama still in Justice Haynes, making it Georgia wanting to go after Rod. Kind of all kind of ties that in together. But 
you know, UCLA, again, we, the three of us, you know, we have our own little group chat. We have fun with it. And I think the one thing that's a little bit, uh, I think it's exciting to see how well UCLA football is playing, right? They're a legitimate team. But from a recruiting standpoint, I haven't really sensed a whole lot of buzz simply because they're not really recruiting a, a whole lot of guys. You guys probably know, know the math better than I do, but I want to say they have how many offers, like 30-something offers, maybe half those guys have already committed. They haven't, haven't been a whole lot of new offers out there. So right now, Huff and Blair, it is the time when they should be like striking while the iron is hot. They should be out on the trail because they're a hot name right now, right? They're kind of the flavor of the month. And I think kids want to hear from UCLA. I, I do think they're recruiting guys that they've already offered early on. I would not be shocked uh, if they make a you know a hard run at a couple of flips candidates, right? I think guys that are committed elsewhere, they might go after those guys. But for me, in the 23 and 24 class, you got to get after some of those guys, maybe put out about 10 or 15 new offers. And because I think right now, kids want to hear from you, but we're not really seeing that. So to say, you know, hey, are they taking advantage of the season with a lot of buzz? Not really, because there's simply not a lot of guys that they're really recruiting at all. And I agree. I mean, you come off a game like they did on Saturday against Utah, where you have a couple of your commits there, you have a couple of your targets there, and yet still no offers have gone out in the 48 hours since that game. Now, they have a bye this coming week. They're going down the road. Maybe this is the week we start to see more offers extended, especially in the 24-25 class. There might not be many 2023s that are kind of worth going after that you know haven't already kind of made their decisions. But you know, this would be the time to strike with the Irons hot because we usually see the bump in a recruiting class in the following class after a good season, right? So 24s and 25s, you you have 2025 prospects like Philip Bell, you know, top five player in the state in the 2025 class, top 100 player. In nationally you know guy, guys like himself should have been leaving with offers and if not then getting an offer here very soon so this is where you capitalize i don't know maybe you know ucla recruiting has been so portal heavy in the last few years maybe they're just waiting to see which guys are not happy with when, when they hear names guys going to the transfer portal in the middle of the season maybe that's how they're filling out their board but yeah there just doesn't seem that there was a lot of positive buzz from the game a lot of positive buzz from the commits from some of the other targets but not the kind of buzz that you would have expected coming off that kind of game, but it also is kind of par, par for the course given what their focus has been on the recruiting trail. I think a common complaint among the UCLA fan base was, oh, UCLA is not offering enough players or they're offering too late or they're not bringing in official visitors in the offseason, right? I think Chip Kelly wanted to bring official visitors closer to the early signing period or maybe during the season on on slower weekends. Well, they changed up that that strategy this year. Uh, 18 official visitors made it to Westwood during the either the late spring, early summer. 13 of those 18 guys guys have committed elsewhere, including Roderick Robinson. So they were trying to get guys in. They just have not won those recruiting battles. They have a bye week. They play at Oregon. It's going to be, a, I think, a highly anticipated matchup. Both programs inside the top 15, hovering in that top 10 range. And if they beat there, if they beat the Ducks there in Autzen and Chip Kelly continues to get that momentum and has you know a 7-0 team seemingly going undefeated into that USC matchup at the end of November... Uh, then we can maybe see whether UCLA makes a run at some of these flip candidates that that we mentioned and alluded to. I think that's going to be one thing to watch with the Bruins. Let's shift gears to Stanford. They're off to a one and four start. And I wonder, guys, are we overreacting if we say that maybe we've seen the end of the Cardinal golden era in football and with some of the recruiting success that they experienced over the last year? 
Yeah, I mean, consider they had the number one class from a high school standpoint, the number one class in the Pac-12 in 2022. It looked like, you know, there was kind of an anomaly. The, the, the 2019 season was an anomaly. And then, you know, the 2020 season kind of happened where, you know, they started off slow, then they ended the year with the winning record. I remember there was the there, there was the uh, false positives that Davis Mills had in his COVID test, so they didn't have him against Oregon, but they go on the road, they beat Washington, they end their season, beat UCLA. Then last year, things kind of went south, but there was some encouragement. There's some optimism. They have a good recruiting class coming in. A lot of those guys are playing early, but you know now you're looking at a third season, a third full season, where they may not win more than four games. You're looking at the longest stretch in Power 5 football of losses to FBS programs. And this was a program that a down year for them in the first five, six years under David Shaw, they went eight and five and, you know, won, I think the San Francisco Bowl. Then the next year they won the Rose Bowl or a top five team with a Heisman Trophy runner. So they're not used to down seasons really since Jim Harbaugh first got there. Now it just seems the shine is off. Players are, you know, they've had more graduate transfers out of the program. And I get, you know, a lot of that's self-inflicted from an academic standpoint. When you're a school like Stanford, you pride yourself on graduate rates, right? So when you when your APR is affected, you want guys to stay. So what guys are doing is they were playing and when they were losing players in the NFL, that was the other thing. Remember, Stanford would keep guys for four years, whether they redshirted or not. They were always, they were never listed as a redshirt sophomore. They were always listed by their academic class. Well, then they hit a little stretch there with like Austin Hooper and Solomon Thomas and Christian McCaffrey, where guys were leaving before they finished their degrees. Well, Stanford's very proud about that. So they determined, let's get our guys in. They were the last school to accommodate mid-year enrollments, right? So when you you kind of go that route, now you're getting guys to graduate earlier, but then they still have two years and they're not getting into the graduate program. So now guys are leaving. So that's a black mark. Now you're winning or not winning. That's a black mark. It looks like things are getting salvaged. And then you come out and you just look, your only win is against Colgate. It seems like the road is, is becoming that much more dicey for Stanford. And from a recruiting standpoint, we've seen more and more losses for Stanford to schools that they had routinely beaten. Is it too late for David Shaw to, to, you know, rejuvenate things? Do they need some new blood? It sure is starting to trend that way, especially once word came out about a year ago, what his yearly salary was. A top 30 recruiting class right now nationally, six four-stars out of those 14 commitments. And I think the Cardinal are one of those schools that these other programs are going to be looking at for their commit list and saying, hey, why would you go there, right? Come here. Let's let's try to change things up. That That's going to be one of those recruiting lists that we look at and we wonder, all right, how many of these guys are going to stick down the stretch? Uh, it's not looking like an easy road for the Cardinal. And obviously, success on the field hasn't really followed. Now, before we take a break, uh, the last overreaction, guys, and, and I wonder if we are overreacting this because it's so early in, in that coaching search, I think, at ASU, especially after Matt Rule was was fired uh, from his NFL coaching job. And it seems like he's be, being thrown out as a candidate for, for every opening right now, including ASU. But Sean Aguano just won a football game uh, at ASU. He beat previously number 21 ranked Washington uh, inside Sun Devil Stadium. He's a guy that has had a lot of success coaching there in the state of Arizona. Uh, he had eight years uh, at Chandler High School, won four Arizona State Championships. Uh, he has produced a number of NFL players, uh, had been doing a, a really good job, I think, coaching the running backs, including Eno Benjamin at, at ASU there in his first year. And so I wonder, are we overreacting if we say that Sean Aguano is a legitimate candidate to be the next head coach at ASU. 
I would say it might be a little too early, Blair, to say yes. Obviously, he's coached one game. Now, the thing I think that makes him a little different than a lot of these interim head coaches is, number one, he does have at least head coaching experience at the high school level. Some of these guys have never even had that. But, you know, from I think ASU, man, I still think ASU is a big-time job. So I don't think you necessarily have to settle. And I'm not saying Sean would be a settle at all. I'm just saying, you know, let's let's see the candidates and let's see who's really interested in that job. I, I do think, man, I, I think you got to keep Sean on that staff, though, right? I, I think he's shown that the, I mean, the players love him. They believe in him. He's always been a solid recruiter, great ties to the state. That's always been an issue for ASU and, and U of A is those top elite kids from in-state always seem to leave to go elsewhere. Uh, I think hopefully you have Sean on there. It, it kind of helps you. But, you know, ASU, man, they look good. I actually watched a lot of that game against UW. That was pretty entertaining. They, those kids played hard, referring to the ASU players. And, you know, kind of not digressing too much, but going back real quick to David Shaw, you know, Stanford plays at Notre Dame and then ASU, UCLA, Washington State, Utah. Uh, that ASU game in a couple of weeks, that, that's kind of a big one for David Shaw and Stanford because, shoot, man, if they don't beat ASU, they might lose like the next four or five in a row. But again, to go back to what you're saying about Sean, is he a candidate? I mean, why not, right? I'd keep him on the list, but I don't know if I would say like a top five guy just yet. Now, if he ro- you know, rolls out four or five wins in a row and those guys are playing hard and they look like they're really having fun and they're getting after it, heck, why not? Yeah, I mean, we've seen it right in the Pac-12 before where a coach gets a job uh, as an interim and kind of runs away with it and mm-hmm. really makes makes a run with it. And I think significantly for him from a recruiting standpoint, last Wednesday on October 5th, he invited a bunch of local prospects to practice. And this is something that Perm Edwards was not doing. Uh, the, the Even you know Todd Graham was not doing. He wasn't really attacking the local pavement and recruiting those local prospects. Uh, Sean Aguano brought in a bunch of recruits uh, to watch practice. And I think that was a clear indication that he wants to be there and he wants to make changes from a recruiting perspective to allow ASU to, to keep some of that talent home because a- Arizona, the state as a whole, is, is rising in talent. I think we see it year after year, the number of players that are coming out of that state. And there's no reason why ASU shouldn't have more commitments locally than they do, um, you know, year in and year out. So Sean Aguano, we'll see what he does here the rest of the season. Just uh, one more sidebar there too. But you mentioned, you know, a lot of times the interim coaches, you can get a couple of fluke wins here and there and you force the interim coach to, to, you know, take the job. We don't force him. He takes the job. But then what ends up happening a lot of times is that guy is not prepared. They got hot at the right time and, you know, looked no further than USC. I mean, we saw when, when Lane Kiffin got fired, they had Ed Ordron as the interim coach and it looked like he put himself in a position to get the job, loses the UCLA, they fire him, they give to Steve Sarkeesian. Well, two years later, Steve Sarkeesian gets fired, they give the interim job to Clay Helton, he wins the Pac-12 South, beats UCLA, they give him the interim job, then he goes and gets beat by Stanford, then he goes and gets beaten by the Holiday Bowl, now the next year they do in the Rose Bowl, but then it seemed like for three years, four years, he was playing for it or coaching for his job. So that's the one danger with interim coaches. But the other caveat here, on Sunday, there was a tweet that our good buddy Jason Jewell, if you guys know Jason Jewell is, Jason Jewell is the head coach at Brophy Prep High School in Phoenix, former colleague of ours in the industry for a long time, uh, but he's also the president of the Arizona High School Coaches Association. And what was it? 200 signatures were were added to a letter from the Arizona High School Football Coaches Association to Arizona State University to consider hiring 
Sean Aguano as the full-time head coach. Now, ASC is not going to be pressured into hiring a coach based on what a letter says. But, I mean, think about that, guys. We, 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 we're around high school coaches all the time. We talk with high school coaches everywhere. There usually isn't that much mutual respect for a high school coach from all of his colleagues, especially a colleague who had won a lot before he got to that level. But the the, the response from the Arizona High School Coaches Association, you know, Sean Aguano is one of them. And, you know, he, he could be in that position. I mean, remember, Gus Malzahn was a head coach in high school. Art Bryles was a high head coach in high school. Now, you could say what Art Bryles off the field, there were his issues. But if you look at some of the coaches, there have been some that haven't been so great. Chad Morris at Arkansas didn't work out. Tony Sanchez at UNLB didn't work out. But there has been some cases. But I, I was more blown away by the response of the coaches in Arizona saying, this should be the guy. Does ASU hire somebody that's you know maybe more towards the end of his career than it's a head coach and waiting situation? Or do they go and say, hey, you're going to be the guy and we're going to give you the resources to hire an awesome staff just to keep you know guys that have a little bit more college experience. That one just became very fascinating given the win over Washington and given that letter. Yeah, Plus I he's think Hawaiian, fellas. You know what I'm saying? He loves oh, the hashtag oh, Ohana. Boy. Ohana, baby. Let's go. Chahoo. Yeah, Ohana it means family. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to the West of the Rest podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Back on the West of the Rest podcast, you could follow the Twitter feed at West of the Rest FB. You could follow Greg Biggins at Greg Biggins, Brandon Huffman at Brandon Huffman. You can follow me at BN Gulag. Guys, I don't know why I didn't go with Blair and Gulo as a Twitter handle or even Blair. I, I think I... I, I got this Twitter handle back in like 2007 when I don't know what I was doing, but I messed that one up. I feel like I'm, I missed a golden opportunity to have a really unique brand. You live, you learn. At some point, you can get that back. Like I just saw, I think it was the Minnesota Twins finally got the the URL they've been trying to get for like 20 years. So Blair, don't count yourself out. 
I just need a lot of Minnesota Twins cash. I saw what they threw at Carlos Correa last summer. Recruiting buzz, Bryce Bolton committed to Oregon. So the Ducks get their first offensive line commit. They jump USC now in the rankings. They are number 13 nationally. Adrian Clem has been going after a number of players at the position. Quickly, Greg, what are the Ducks getting in, in Bryce Bolton? What do you like about this prospect? A lot of upside. He's a guy who I, I saw some people saying, oh, you know, three-star, three-star. You know, saw him at National Prep and then also saw him at the Polynesian Bowl Combine, Poly Bowl Combine. He is an athletic kid, man. And, and just physically, he's about 250, but he's a, he's got a big frame. I think he ran, tested off the charts, five flat or five 140. He shuttled really well. Can play both sides of the football. I think he was kind of brought in. He plays tackle, but I think he'll slide inside to be a center guard. But, you know, last time I talked to him, it was kind of funny. He actually committed back in July, fellas. But I, he wasn't, for whatever reason, wasn't allowed to release it yet. And so I, I actually had a story, a pre-write. That's another off-topic thing we had. A pre-write from July. He hit me up the morning of the last week and said, hey, I'm going to commit in an hour. And I had my pre-write of him still saying, yeah, I just committed on my campus right now, blah, blah, blah. And I had to update that real quick. When I talked to him, he said, he, you know, some of the defensive staff, uh, some of the D-line coaches actually think he can play on, on that side of the ball now. So strong kid, athletic kid, moves well, might be a little underrated from a recruiting breaking standpoint. I, I like to pick up. I think he's good. I think he can play. Yeah, the Ducks have been getting a lot of those players, right? Those those players that can be versatile. They'll fit them at different spots. Uh, and they're battling SC right now for that number one class in the Pac-12. And that's going to be a battle, I think, that will stretch into the early signing period. A lot of big fish left for both programs. Julian saying, Biggins, you, you reported that he could be close to making a decision maybe in the next couple months. Expected to get out to Alabama for a visit. Uh, recently went out to LSU for a visit. What do you what do you hear in there? Yeah, no. So he's going to visit October 22nd, Mississippi State game. And I think right now it might be more of a two-team race. Ironically, my crystal ball, which I, I hate doing those, but it's actually on Georgia. And I think Georgia's probably running third. So that's why I hate putting these picks in so early. I think LSU might have a slight lead. Alabama right there. Those are the two schools that are kind of pushing the hardest. He went to an LSU game last month. And I, I think of, out of all the three schools, I think LSU is the one pushing the hardest. But, you know, he's never been to a Bama game before. He's excited to get out there. He wants to see that atmosphere. He wants to meet the coaches one more time. He'll stay an extra day. So game on Saturday, he'll stay all day Sunday, you know, do the whole tour and whatnot. So November, I think, is now looking like his time frame for a decision. If it was today, I'd probably lean toward LSU, but Bama's Bama, right? If, if they make a great impression and push hard for him on that visit, then Bama's fully capable of, of, of stealing him late. But as of right now, I, I would give the Tigers a little bit of a lead, Bama, and then probably Georgia running third. Huff, we do this segment every week, the recruit performance to watch or the recruit performance that we liked from, from Friday or from Thursday or from Saturday, whenever the game was. For me, this last week was Isaac Wilson, 350 passing yards, 115 rushing yards, three total touchdowns on a nationally televised game, ESPNU versus Lone Peak. That was a rematch of a game that they lost twice last year at Corner Canyon. And the 2024 four-star prospect will be visiting Michigan this weekend for that maze out game against Penn State. He's the brother of Zach Wilson, uh, has been getting a lot of attention, and I thought he was really impressive. Do you have a recruit performance of the week? No, I don't, other than, you know... The, <laughs> but, but you did I, watch Modern Day Bosco, Wilson. I hope. I, I did watch Modern Day Bosco, and hey, I'll say, you know, one of the most impressive performances this weekend actually involved a couple of Catholic schools up the road. There was more of a group effort De La Salle losing Whoa. their fifth straight game to a Northern heck? California. They have gone 30 years between losses to Northern California teams. They have now, in the last year, 
lost five straight games, or they've lost five games total, I should say, to Northern California schools, the St. Francis of Mountain View, lost to Sarah of uh, San Mateo. They've lost twice to Folsom and Stockton St. Mary's, who they played a lot. And keep in mind, this is a Stockton St. Mary's team that lost their Polynesian Bowl all-star Jaden Marshall, who's, who's now at UCLA, doesn't have like an elite superstar there right now, lost their starting quarterback, and they kind of took it to De La Salle. So my performance of the week is a collective effort to St. Mary's. They are one of the few schools that is willing to schedule De La Salle each and every year and have been forever, and they finally get over the hump. But it kind of paled in comparison down to the game that, that GB was at in the old Southland. You know what, though, Huff? Just not to, I don't want to, I want to finish that thought, man. That hurts my heart because as a SoCal guy, I still have so much love for De La Salle. And a lot of it was because my boy Mark Tennis from Cal High Sports used to take so much crap from SoCal people when he would always rank De La Salle higher back in the 80s always have the Spartans number one and everyone oh they haven't played anybody and then they came out and they beat up on modern day and beat up on Long Beach Poly and it was like a, yeah I don't hear you anymore SoCal people I'm a SoCal guy but I just love my guy Mark Tennis and, and so ever since then I said dude I will never ever pick against Data Sal because I saw them you know, close up with Kevin Simons and then DJ Williams and Matt Gutierrez and Maurice Drew. And I just saw them run right through everybody. So to watch him now, man, it's like watching uh it's like watching Muhammad Ali fight Larry Holmes. You know what I mean? Like kinda like hurts my heart a little bit. Hey, Mark Tennis shouted you out on Twitter earlier this week though, because a lot of people in the national pundits have moved Modern Day ahead of Bosco, having Bosco number one. You've had Modern Day number one the whole year. And you never changed that. And he shouted you out for not changing. You stuck with the team that had been winning. That was Mark Tennis. That, that was when doing how Cal High Sports rankings, it was, hey, if there's two teams that are equal in talent, which Bosco and Marte always will be, goes, just make it easy on yourself. Just go with whoever won it the year before. It, it's the kind of, the, you know, to quote the great Ric Flair, to be the man, you got to beat the man, right? Especially if they're going to play each other, which Bosco and Marte always do. And just go with whoever won it the year before, knock out the champ. And if they don't win, shoot, it's a simple flip, one versus two. But start off the year with whoever won it the year before. And that was something that Mark taught me. And yeah, that's why I've had modern day one, even though I thought Bosco was probably, you know, had a little bit of an edge in this year's game. And GB, you were there. You got to see a lot of the action. Modern day, Bosco, the Monarchs come out on top. I got a chance to see Modern day in person earlier this season when they played in Las Vegas against Bishop Gorman. That was a come from behind victory. They were down 14 nothing early on. And I think they really imposed their will. And I want to say it's a bit overwhelming to watch teams like Modern day and Bosco at the high school level because typically when we go out to a game on a Friday or on a Thursday, wherever we maybe we're keeping an eye on on two or three high caliber d1 players power five elite prospects at, at, at modern day at bosco when you go to those matchups all you have to do is follow the football because stars will be all over the field what what stood out to you on friday yeah no it's it's a different level of football and i know hub said he watched it too hopefully he did you know watch with the sound turned off because the of the broadcast crew but and miss your I, sweet dulcet tones <laughs> Oh my gosh, I hate listening to my voice. But honestly, it, it's it's weird watching high school football th- that elevated and just just how fast they run. It just I mean, just how fast they play, the pace of the game, the the ferocity of the tackling, some of the hits you, you can hear the pads popping from up there in the press box. Those guys are so well coached. They play so dang hard, and, and they're so physical, man. It's just like it's amazing. You're watching high school kids, and so yeah, like you said. Trying to do like a little top performers list is hard because literally there's 20 guys that are all playing extremely well. You know, I I went with a guy that I know all of us. I know Huff has been 
knowing since probably middle school, you know, Jordan Davidson, I thought is kind of living up to what we had first heard about from our buddy Maury, you know, coming from the same training facility, Milo Fitness as guys like Najee Harris and Joe Mixon and Raleigh Brown. Those guys are pretty good in football, right? And mm-hmm. Huff, you know, correct me, but I think Maury's been saying, hey, Jordan Davidson is the best in that group. And I was kind of like, Maury, come on now, settle down a little bit. But I mean, he is a he is a talented kid. He's big, he's fast, he's physical, he's probably six feet, 210. He can hit between the tackles. He can bounce it outside. He's got vision. He's got balance. He's got top end speed. This game, I was curious what how he would react to this getting hit. And I know the Gorman game was a physical game as well, but Bosco, that, that's kind of a different level of physicality. Not saying that Gorman is not, but just he really stood up to it. And then he, you know, he won the game. He sealed the deal with that late, you know, 38-yard touchdown run at the end of the fourth quarter. So I thought Jordan was the guy, and we could probably name 20 more guys, but I'll get some reaction from you two. But uh, no, Jordan Davidson, 2025, uh, was probably my, my player of the game uh, among what could have been 20 other guys. Yeah, and, and this might sound like heresy, and I know there's many people that are going to be upset, so I'm going to say it, especially because of that. You know, <laughs> back in the in the late 2020s, I mean, or the late the uh, I guess the the teens when Alabama and LSU played on that CBS primetime game, it was like they were playing at another speed. You could watch college football games all day. You could watch really good college football games all day. But when Alabama and LSU were playing, even in years where LSU didn't necessarily have the competitive team that could hang with those Alabama teams at the end of Les Miles, the beginning of Ed Orgeron, those games were just full-on violence and speed and just collisions. And that's what watching modern-day Bosco is compared to watching a lot of other high school games. It's not to say if modern-day played IMG or St. Francis or, you know, Bosco plays one of those Texas teams that they beat by 60 or modern-day beats by 60. When modern-day Bosco plays, like you said, Greg, you know, it's the level of play is so outstanding the size the speed the violence the physicality you know you got backups coming in that are division one players and it's like a game that's just played on a completely different set of circumstances a set of football than anywhere else and i know you know it's got its detractors but it still makes for great football when you're seeing 44 talented players on the field you know at any given time when the offenses and defenses are playing against each other and, and vice versa I love the uh, I love the LSU Alabama. Sorry, Blair. I loved what you said because you know I'll, I'm the oldest guy in the phone call. It reminded me when I was in high school and it was Florida State Miami. Like we mm-hmm. literally we we would set our watches to you know back when there was these things called VCRs. You did not want to miss when Florida State played Miami and and those two teams were just on a different level in terms of just the athleticism and they were rivals, right? And you mentioned yeah you know Bosco played St. Francis or Monterey plays IMG. It's it's a great game. But when Monterey and Bosco play each other, like it's different it, because it's that rivalry. It's, they're in the same league and these guys play together. All these linemen train together. All the skilled guys, a lot of them play the same seven on seven teams together. So man, there's a lot of them, you know, played middle school ball together, whether it be for the OG Ducks or Juice County Buckeyes. So they all know each other. There's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of animosity, man. It's always a little bit of a chippy game as well. Kind of like the Florida State Miami games of the past. A lot of talking. And that just takes it to a, a whole nother level as well. Notre Dame played a game out West. They played BYU in Las Vegas. They obviously came out on top in that game, but they sent an evaluator out to Santa Ana Stadium to, to watch this game. Lincoln Riley and Dante Williams, the, the coaches at USC, they took a helicopter from, from LA to get down there and beat the rush hour traffic on a Friday. And 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 they were on the sidelines as well. Uh, it, it's always one of those games that draws a lot of attention from, from college coaches. And you, know, you go to any of these 
these practices and you can look uh, in any direction and find a player that that you'll like or a player that has a, a really nice potential to make a difference at the next level. A little birdie was telling me actually at the modern day Milani game a few weeks ago that USC could be one to watch for, for Jordan Davison. I, I think they might be you know, in the driver's seat early on in the recruitment. I think the Trojans have made enough of an impression running the football with their offense being as as free-flowing as it is. Uh, what Relique Brown was able to show, you know, in the first couple of weeks of the season as well. I think that that is something to watch for uh, when it comes to Jordan Davison because he's going to be, just as we mentioned and how we opened the show with Roderick Robinson being kind of the talk of the college football world right now in terms of the running back and in terms of the, of the teams that are going after him. Jordan Davison's already that in the 2025 cycle. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll let Huff jump in. But just to add, you know, there's some, there's a little bit of, of mild recruiting buzz for Elijah Brown and USC as well. You know, it's kind of funny. If you talk to Elijah, funny kid, only because he just doesn't watch much fo- football. He, he just, he's one of those guys who I don't think he really cares that much. I mean, he's just a regular kid, great kid. You want to, there's a lot. There, I mean, GB, we live in Southern California and there, there's a lot to do on weekends. Right. Like make all the jokes you want about the attendance numbers at the Rose Bowl or at the Coliseum or how many people are showing up to college games or, you know, how the Cowboys took over SoFi Stadium for a Rams home game this weekend. But I mean, guys like (laughs) guys like Elijah Brown, right, those types of players that are just normal kids, they don't live and, and die football and they don't have to watch every minute of every game like some other kids maybe do in other towns you know that's not a knock that's just the reality of of the surroundings but i'm saying i don't think elijah watches any fellas like it's hilarious like you you think of the quarterbacks that have come through southern california usually they're they're football (laughs) junkies right that's why they're so good whether it be a you know a bryce young or you know dj even watched football and he had baseball interests you know jt daniels all those great quarterbacks when elijah got offered by alabama and georgia i was like hey so what do you think about those teams? He didn't know anything about them. And he <laughs> said, I watch Bama. I watch Bama because of Bryce. Um, but that's about it. I go. Oh. So anyways, I always got a Stanford vibe from him. But I think, you know, with the struggles that are going on at Stanford, USC has offered Elijah the way Lincoln Riley does it. Man, he doesn't offer a whole lot of quarterbacks. Maybe offers one. They've are, you know, they've offered another quarterback in the 24 class, but they're going hard after a bunch of those 24s at modern day. DeAndre Carter. Brandon Baker, both those two guys played really well. And they have an offer out to Jelani Davis, who if there was one guy from this game, I don't know if you remembered him, Huff. He was at number five, the Marty safety, who just kept mm-hmm. coming up and making big hit after big hit. I thought he was the most impactful, probably DB in the game. And that's saying something because there were so many big-time guys in this game. But, you know, USC is making a hard push. You know, Mateo, USC, Ohio State, and Oregon – I've always gotten an Ohio State vibe, but he's been to two USC games this year. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, You know, Aaron William, you know, he committed early to Louisville, probably going to visit Georgia along with, you know, DeAndre Moore, who went out. But I I could see USC kind of trying to make a a late push for for Aaron Williams as well. They're all over Kingston. They're all over Peyton Woodyard, referring to USC. So, yeah, it wasn't surprising to see Lincoln Riley and Dante Williams there, you know, in the private helicopter, whatever it was. You know, they uh, they made an appearance and, you know, shoot, they have a lot of primetime targets in that game. I, I assumed when you said that they were all over those guys, you were not referring to UCLA. So I think that goes without saying. You, you sound like you are surprised by that. No, I mean, UCLA actually, you know, ironically, they've, they've offered 
a couple of those guys we just named, right? They've offered Peyton Woodyard in, in Kingston. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a difference between offering a guy and then going like all in on the recruiting. That's what I think if you're if you're a bro, and when I say bro, I mean a Bruin online subscriber, man, you want your team to be like maniacal and how they go after the guys. And I, I just think again. It's funny how, you know, we segue from talking Bosco Marday to getting back to kicking UCLA a little bit. But like, you know, we rarely hear, even from a kid who has a, a UCLA offer, when you say, hey, who's recruiting you the hardest? You don't always, if ever, hear UCLA out of the kid's mouth. But you know what? There's at least 10 to 15 kids in that game that UCLA should definitely make a high priority. But uh, hey, another little nugget, fellas. And then I'll let you guys jump back in. But, you know, a lineman for modern day, right guard, Lipe Mawala. This guy's the biggest guy, one of the biggest guys I've ever seen. He's the biggest guy in that modern day offensive line. He's bigger than Baker. He's bigger than Carter. He's about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and probably 330. Moves really well. I like him a lot. Uh, he visited Oregon two weeks ago. The Ducks have offered him. And uh, there's some buzz that the Ducks are, are doing really well for Lipe. And it would not be shocking if he made a commitment in the next month or so. So another little uh, recruiting nugget, Lipe Mawala. Watch for him and Oregon to potentially get together at some point. Yeah, and that's how we bring it full circle here. Talk Oregon, talk UCLA, talk USC. Uh, a lot going on in the Pac-12 and in West Coast recruiting. And you could follow it all over at 247sports.com. Anything else before we go, guys? I got nothing. It was just great to have Greg on here who said we would never have him back. Well, Greg, we showed you we would have you back. We may have you back all the time. Yeah, I'm, you know what? Can I just run another little nugget? Because I'm looking at some of my notes from the game. See, this is how he tries to get back into our graces and be on our show every week. I, I just, I, the, the game was so good, fellas. And, you know, I know we got another 40 minutes to go. So I'm just, I'm only kidding <laughs> about the 40 minutes part. We could talk forever, but, you know, DeAndre Moore, you know, when we had our, we had our conference call with, with Rawlinson kind of lean up to this game, he said something that I, I didn't necessarily agree with, but it was still kind of interesting to hear him say. He said in all the film study they've watched, and in modern day, they do film study like college coaches do. He actually felt DeAndre Moore was a tougher matchup for them than, than Zach Branch, believe it or not. And we have Branch number one, and rightfully so, but they really felt DeAndre Moore was going to present all kinds of issues. They felt he wasn't as fast as Branch, but does a little bit of everything, maybe better. But they, they kind of, I don't know if it was modern day shutting more down or, or Bosco not utilizing DeAndre. They kind of, they modern day played way off, kind of dared Bosco to kind of dink and duck down the field. Bosco chose not to kind of go the quick route. They either tried to go maybe look for some deeper stuff down the field or just run the ball. And so Moore really wasn't utilized and he, he badly hurt his ankle late in the game. And I heard it might've almost even been, you know, maybe a, an internal thing also with a, a lung, but I heard he's okay. I hopefully he's okay. But uh, yeah, DeAndre Moore has been playing lights out this year, been super, super special. Hopefully he's okay. But yeah, just an interesting note from a, a high school coach who just, you know, talked up and it wasn't like a coach, you know, being Lou Holtz, because this was on our, our private call. It was like he was putting it out there to the public. So interesting to hear someone praise DeAndre, but uh, you know, the kid's been playing really well this year. So there you go. Formerly committed to Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley flipped to Louisville. I think it was a delayed flip. Obviously, he backed off that commitment to Oklahoma. It considered other schools uh, and will be taking other official visits, it sounds like. So that's another prospect to monitor here as we make a charge towards the early signing period. That'll do it for us. We're going to get Greg on this show a little bit more often. Maybe uh, throw out some polls over on the Twitter feed at West of the Rest FB. You could follow Brandon at Brandon Huff. You can follow Greg at Greg Biggins and you can follow me at B Angulo for Greg and Brandon and our producer Lance Glenn. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the West of the Rest podcast.
I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.